History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 419th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we have a location that was suggested by Chelsea Flowers. She didn't come right out and say, would you guys do this? But she posted in the spectacular crew that this hotel that was in a city near her was hosting a Hallmark-like Christmas movie. And you know you love those. Yes, I do. We can all admit it. And she said, I also have heard that the place is haunted. So we looked into it, and sure enough, it's got a lot of stuff going on. So that's what we're bringing to you on this episode. Before we get into that, we want to welcome into the Spectacular crew, Angela, Ashley, Eric, Francis, Kay, Lauren, and Brianne. Thank you for joining our Facebook group. And now, this moment, Noddity. Ever heard of an eggnog riot? How about a grog mutiny? In December of 1826, the United States Academy at West Point, with all of its discipline, descended into a drunken riotous party. Colonel Sylvanus Thayer was in charge of the school, and he had banned drinking, tobacco, and gambling. Eggnog had become popular and more readily available in America at this time. George Washington was known to enjoy his eggnog with a liberal amount of rum or whiskey. The soldiers at West Point were determined to celebrate Christmas with some spirits. They snuck in gallons of brandy, rum, whiskey, and wine and planned to mix it with homemade eggnog. The officer assigned to watch the North Barracks, Captain Ethan Allen Hitchcock, went to bed on Christmas Day thinking that the cadets were not going to throw a party. He was wrong, and the cadets in the North Barracks started partying. By 4 a.m., the party was spiraling out of control. The captain was awakened and he entered one of the party rooms and told the cadets their party was unlawful and that they were going to be punished. The drunken cadets turned on him, throwing rocks through his window. They also rampaged through the hallways with muskets, bayonets, and swords, and even took shots at the captain. Things ballooned into a riot with more than one-third of the cadets involved. When everything wrapped up, 70 cadets were implicated with 20 of them court-martialed. An eggnog riot, especially at West Point? certainly is odd. Are you afraid of the dark? And now, this month in history.
In the month of January on the 10th in 1962, an avalanche kills thousands in Peru. There were several small farming communities that had formed in the Rio Santa Valley in the shadow of Mount Huascaran, part of the Andes Mountains. This mountain was notorious for cracking off ice and snow, but villagers usually had plenty of warning to get to higher ground. On this particular day, things happened so fast that there was no escape. The block of ice that broke off was the size of two skyscrapers and weighed millions of tons. The avalanche it created traveled nine and a half miles in only seven minutes. Whole towns were buried in up to 40 feet of snow and mud and trees. Barely anyone survived. 4,000 people were believed to have died with many bodies never being recovered. Some washed away as far as the Pacific Ocean in flooding created by the avalanche. That was a distance of 100 miles. The Holly Hotel is located in Holly, Michigan, and has survived through several fires, the Great Depression, two world wars, and a visit from the infamous temperance leader, Carrie Nation. This is a beautiful Queen Anne Victorian that once provided lodging to railroad men and is today a popular restaurant that reputedly is full of ghosts. Join us as we share the history and hauntings of the Holly Hotel. Holly, Michigan is a village located in the Thumb area of the Mitten. Kelly, you know that most people when they are now from I know Michigan, exactly where it is. <laughs> they'll hold their hand up like it's a Mitten and point where they live on it. Exactly. It's about 55 miles northwest of Detroit. Nathan Herrick was the first settler to arrive in 1830. A little over a decade later, a sawmill and a gristmill were built. And in 1850, the village was official when the post office was opened. At the time, it was known as Holly Mills. Which makes sense, I guess, because it had a bunch of mills there. The name changed to Holly officially in 1861. No one knows for sure where the name came from. Holly does grow in the area, and an earlier settler named Jonathan Allen did come from Mount Holly, New Jersey, so there are multiple possibilities. When the Detroit and Milwaukee Railroad came to town, 25 trains a day stopped here, and the village began to prosper. Soon, hotels were needed for railroad men and travelers, and the Hearst Hotel would open in 1891. John Henry Hurst was born in 1857, and he built the first hotel to stand on the site at 110 Martha Street in 1891, naming it after himself. Martha Street was mainly known as Battle Alley because of all the street fights that took place here, and the name stuck into the modern era. So the street is officially known as Battle Alley today. I wonder if people wonder why that street is named Battle Alley. I had visions of, like, the fight going on in West Side Story. I know! <laughs> It just, I mean, this must have been a crazy street to actually nickname the street that. They must have honestly had a ton of fights going on there. The structure was built from wood and was soon destroyed in a fire that happened in April of 1892. Hearst decided to rebuild and chose to use bricks this time. This would also be a more elaborate hotel. He hired George Stannard and John Lonetto to design and build it. The new hotel was built from red brick in the Queen Anne style and was two and a half stories with a gabled hip roof and every modern convenience of the time. Which was basically, you know, they had water running in the hotel and stuff and <laughs> yep. heat. It was completed at a cost of $16,000 and was said to be the finest hotel in Oakland County with the largest dining room in the area. 
Hearst's wife Lydia died in 1903, and he remarried in 1904. He held onto the hotel for a couple more years and then decided to sell, which he did in August of 1906 to a man named Alfred Jones. Jones then immediately transferred ownership to a man named F.W. Johnson and then leased it from him for two years. The site would suffer its second fire, and this new hotel would have the first of many major fires it would endure in July of 1907. The roof was completely destroyed and the interior had smoke and water damage. The interior was restored and the roof was replaced and the hotel would change its name to the Holly Inn. The following year would bring another force of nature to the hotel. Carrie Nation brought her hatchet to town on August 29, 1908. She brought a group of pro-temperance supporters with her and they used umbrellas to club patrons at the Holly Hotel. Can you imagine? No. (laughs) Nation was already angry about the drinking, but when she saw the painting of a scantily clad woman above the bar... She wielded her axe and took out a row of whiskey bottles. That's a party foul and a half. (laughs) (laughs) I I can't even imagine this group of women coming in there with axes and umbrellas and clubbing everybody and breaking stuff up. The owner had Nation arrested, and when Governor Fred Warner heard that news, he made his way to town to use the incarceration for political means. He popped into Holly to make a re-election campaign speech, which had a spotlight on it, of course, because all of a sudden Nation's here busting stuff up. Nation got out of prison and confronted the governor yelling, you're a coward, since he wouldn't crack down on liquor. The governor left town quickly after that, so I don't know, she must have had a bit of a group with her to make him scared. The Holly Hotel commemorates Nation's visit every year with a reenactment of her visit, but we imagine without the busted alcohol bottles. They also have a special menu and, of course, drink specials. (laughs) Oh my gosh, too funny. And Carrie Nation is rolling over in her grave as we speak. The second major fire for the hotel happened on January 19, 1913, and the Flint Journal reported, Fire which is believed to have originated in a clothes chute where someone carelessly threw a match. Totally destroyed the Holly Inn here yesterday. The estimated loss is 20000 of which only 8000 was covered by insurance. The fire had worked its way up the elevator shaft to the third floor before being discovered. The flames were noticed by several persons at the same time. And when the fire department reached the hotel, the roof was ablaze. The hotel was a brick structure built in 1892. It was owned by Mrs. Marie Powell of Pontiac and conducted by Otis Kennedy. Very little furniture or clothing was saved from the fire, and several of the guests had narrow escapes. Mrs. Powell decided to sell the property rather than rebuild. Joseph P. Allen became the new owner, and he was going to add a new element to the hotel when he rebuilt. He had obtained a liquor license, so now there would be an official bar here, not just people drinking in the establishment. Allen rebuilt the front entrance with a Tuscan column porch and took the top story off the corner tower. The interior had elegant custom millwork with rich woods, tin ceilings, lead glass, luxurious velvets, and plaster walls. The restaurant featured china and fine linens. Joseph renamed the hotel for himself the Allendorf, taking inspiration from New York's Waldorf Hotel. People came from all over the Midwest just to eat here. The Sunday dinners were famous and priced at 50 cents per person. That's 50 cents per person eating on china and fine linen. That's pretty good. (laughs) Sounds good to me. Things went great until Prohibition came to town and shut down the bar. Alan innovated and added an ice cream parlor and movie theater to try to make up the revenue lost at the bar. He sold the hotel in 1930 to Henry Norton, who changed the name to Hotel Norton. It was at this time that the hotel mainly became a dining establishment as rail travel dropped off drastically. 
In a bizarre synchronicity only HGB listeners could appreciate, the hotel suffered another devastating fire exactly 65 years to the day as the 1913 blaze. Some accounts claim that it was even exact to the hour. Faulty wiring completely gutted the interior. The ruined building was bought by local residents Dr. Leslie Schur and his wife, and they decided that if they were going to rebuild, they were going to return the hotel to the way it looked in 1892. And that's just what they did, which included salvaging pressed tin from the ceiling and ceramic tiles from the floor. They used local historians to help ensure everything was painstakingly exact to as the hotel had been in its glory days. They reopened in 1979 as a fine dining restaurant, and they called it the Historic Holly Hotel. The following year, it was added to the National Register of Historic Places. Today, the Holly Hotel is owned by George and Chrissy Cutlenios. The hotel still has its three-story, helmet-domed, octagonal corner tower, and hip roof. There are three main floor dining rooms and two private banquet rooms. The Holly Hotel is one of the few properties to have had continual food service into three centuries. And the hotel is going to be featured in a Hallmark-style Christmas movie named Christmas at the Holly Hotel in 2022. You know, hometown girl leaves New York to help folks run the hotel, and she falls in love with the police chief. Sounds like a Hallmark-style movie to me. Indeed. And, uh, I'll eat it right up because I sit around watching those all the time. They all go exactly the same way. Everybody looks <laughs> the same, but can't resist them. Yep. Also, I want to point out, this is why it's hard when I'm doing the historical research when we have contradictory information. Everywhere that I was reading about the current owners, it was saying that they had owned the hotel since 1978. But I had the actual documents that were submitted to get the National Register of Historic Places done. And the people who did that were Dr. Leslie Schur and his wife. And you don't see a lot about them. But they were the owners on that paperwork. And it said that they were the ones who were doing all of this work about the restoration and stuff. So I don't know if in the middle of all that, George and Chrissy took over. I have no idea when they exactly got ownership of this. But I have these two people crisscrossing and I have an official document. So that's why I've got Dr. Leslie Schur and his wife owning it first. And I have no idea when the current owners took over. Just because that's what happens with these things. <laughs> I don't know if the reporter got it wrong, if George and Chrissy forget exactly the year that they started, because it was a long time ago. Could I don't be. know. But the official paperwork has Dr. Leslie Schur and his wife on it as of, and it even was stamped with 1979 and 1980. So I don't know. The Holly Hotel website says, true to historic accounts from the turn of the century, the main dining room has been decorated in burgundies, mauves, and warm dark oak, all typifying the Victorian era. So it sounds like a glorious place to eat. Rich Axminster carpeting provides an elegant field for the Victorian pedestal tables, red velvet wing-back chairs, and arched stained glass windows. Authentic Victorian gas fixtures reflect a soft light from the embossed tin ceilings. The dining rooms, each with its own distinctive character, have been appointed to blend true Victorian tradition with the spirit of the bustling railroad era. The restaurant has won numerous awards. Many of their recipes date back to the original hotel. And they have a comedy club here that has hosted the likes of Soupy Sales, Jackie Vernon, Bill Maher, Pat Paulson, Judy Tenta, and Tim Allen. Arr, 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 arr. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> tool time. <laughs> to infinity and beyond. No, I, I go more tool time. Whatever. But.
Octobers are special at the hotel. This establishment embraces its spirits, and we aren't talking about the ones Carrie Nation busted up. Several paranormal groups have investigated here, and the end of October features Victorian seances. And they offer a special haunted dinner menu. The fun with ghosts continues into December when the hotel hosts the spirit of Christmas with an old-fashioned Christmas celebration, complete with characters from Dickens, A Christmas Carol. Professor of parapsychology Norman Gautier visited the hotel in 1989 and declared that it was loaded with spirits. And many people agree with him, believing that the Holly Hotel is the most haunted historic building in Michigan, and maybe even one of the most haunted hotels in America. Hotel owner Chrissy Katlenios, and I hope we're saying that last name right, said in an article in 2009 that she had heard hundreds of experiences from guests and employees in the 30 years that she's owned the building at that point. She even had her own experience in February of 1996. On that particular morning, she entered the building and began to walk the dining rooms for a quick morning inspection. When she came around a corner, she saw the full-bodied apparition of a Native American, minus his feet. She said of it, It was strikingly real, and in three seconds it was gone. It was a very, very frightening experience, and one that I haven't been able to recreate. And I'm assuming you wouldn't want to recreate it if it was very frightening. The spirit was only seen that one time and has never returned. Kelly, that's really interesting because one has to wonder why a Native American spirit would be inside this hotel and only make that one appearance. Maybe he was passing through. That's one of the things that I'm thinking because I I was like, was there something he was connected to with the land? But if that was the case, I would think he'd have been seen multiple times with as much activity as they have going on here. Right. I would imagine so. Or I was wondering if it was somebody who was just coming with a message for her that was connected to her in some way. I don't know. But if it's something that's only happened that one time, I would think it's there's something special about it. One of the most widely experienced unexplained happenings are phantom smells. So here we go with our nose pictures again, but they're pretty reliable, especially when it comes to cigar smoke and old lady perfume. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. They show up a lot. There's no smoking in the building, but the original owner of the hotel, John Hurst, enjoyed his cigars. And we imagine several bar patrons did as well. Guests claim to catch a scent of cigar tobacco on occasion, describing it as barely a whiff at times and overpowering at others and a flowery perfume is often detected as well. Mr. Hurst is the most prominent ghost here, and he shows up in ways that are not just olfactory. He has appeared as a full-bodied apparition, although that is very rare. When he is seen, he's wearing a frock coat and top hat. Hurst generally sticks to the top of the stairs, but has been seen a few times in the Cary Nation banquet room. The lower level of the hotel once had the tonsorial parlor, and he likes this area as well, especially with the cigar smoke. For those who don't know, a tonsorial parlor was a fancy barber shop. EVP of someone believed to be Hearst have been captured. These usually feature a faint baritone laugh. A couple of employees claim to have heard this audibly as well. When the investigation group Highland Ghost Hunters investigated the building, they claimed that the door to the attic swung open by itself, even though it was supposed to be locked. And I went to look up their website and see if I could get more information on that stuff. And it's defunct, so I don't think this is a group anymore. A medium named Kirsten Stanley Morin felt an overwhelming presence of a woman when she visited the hotel. People believe this may be Nora Kane. She was the hotel hostess in the early 1900s. Her portrait is on display in the restaurant's main lobby wearing a morning dress. She was a beautiful and petite woman who enjoyed playing music. 
So if you hear piano music in the air when no one is at the piano, it's probably her playing the tune. Her soft, disembodied singing is heard as well. Occasionally, people playing at the piano have heard a feminine voice whisper in their ear a tune she'd like to hear. The perfume scent that people have detected is thought to be hers. She likes to hang out in the turret area in the main bar and the back hallway. Nora's figure has been captured in photos, particularly during weddings, that are hosted at the hotel. She's usually wearing a beautiful dress and looks graceful, but what convinces people that she doesn't belong in the pictures is that she's cut off at the knees. Minor detail. Just a little one. There's something unusual about that woman in the corner picture there. And then there's the ghost in the kitchen. Nora Kane had a daughter, and she's wearing the morning dress in her portrait because that daughter passed away. This little girl ghost likes to hang out in the kitchen, and she plays with many of the pots, pans, dishes, and utensils, moving them all around. Many of these date back to the turn of the century. It's a bit troubling that her favorite implement is a meat cleaver. Yeah, I'm I'm wondering, (laughs) are you sure it's a little girl ghost? I would think she wouldn't be so into the meat cleaver, but I wonder what she does with that. Maybe you don't want to know. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, I would want to be cooking in the early a.m. by myself, and all of a sudden the meat cleaver starts hacking around. This spirit sometimes plays on the banquet room steps as well, running up and down them. And there are some who claim that this actually might be the spirit of another little girl who died in an accident in the livery stable. Possibly there are spirits of two little girls here. The spirit that has materialized sometimes appears to be between the ages of 10 and 13, and she has red hair. She's a happy and playful spirit, whoever she might be, as her disembodied giggling is heard. This young ghost made its presence known during a seance in the early 1990s. Yeah, I read a few blog posts of people who had gone to the seances that they host here. And of course, they said a lot of it is embellished and for fun and that kind of thing. So they didn't really take it very seriously. But apparently during one of these seances, they had something actually really materialized. So it would have been very interesting. Of course, I would be questioning it a little bit just because we know seances sometimes do things that are fake, fraudulent, whatever. (laughs) Could be. There's an animal spirit here, too, that many people believe is a hearse rat terrier that they named Leona. The sound of a dog running in the hallway is heard even though there are no animals in the building. The feeling of an animal brushing up against a leg has been felt by guests and employees, and disembodied barking is heard, especially in the early morning hours by kitchen staff. Sally wrote in 2016, I live in Holly and frequent the hotel quite often for their tea hour and Sunday brunches. It took several times before I finally had an experience. To be honest, it wasn't even on my radar and was the very last thing on my mind. When you live here in Holly, you hear about it all the time and eventually take it with a grain of salt. While in the bathroom freshening up, all alone, standing at the sink, I had the most cliche of experiences, but one that frightened me to the core. The air became very cold, not drafty, but icy. I looked at myself in the mirror and actually saw my hair moving from the breeze. There are no windows in the bathroom. As I turned to leave, I actually turned my body so I was face to face with a woman. She was definitely not of this world. She had very long black hair. Her head was down and her arms were out as if she wanted me to hand her something. She looked to me to be misty with very torn clothing and greasy looking hair. I tore out of there faster than I've ever moved in my life. While in the basement on another occasion at the comedy club, we were some of the first to arrive. We ordered our cocktails and were chatting when the same cold air came in. It's a completely different feel than a cool breeze from outdoors. It actually makes the hair on your neck and arm stand up and the eerie feeling that comes with it is unmistakable. We stayed for the show with no further incidents, but I am now a true believer. 
Holy cow. Of course, it's the women's bathroom. <laughs> of course it Always. is. And how weird, because this is nothing that's been described anywhere else, because Nora Kane is not described as looking like she's unkept at all. Exactly. So it's like, where did this thing come from? What was that? It makes you wonder if it was something maybe attached to her, especially since she got the same experience again. Could be. Later with the cold air feeling. I don't know. That is so bizarre. Robin wrote in 2018, my aunt and uncle owned the Holly Hotel for many years. They operated it as a boarding house, bar, packaged liquor store, pool hall, and restaurant serving hamburgers and pizza. They lived on the second floor in a large apartment. It always smelled like cigars everywhere. We had the run of the place. We had experiences down in the cellar or basement where we played on our uncle's old illegal slot machine and oftentimes when we ran up and down the large staircases. We just got used to the fact that our balls would be moved around on the old pool table or someone would brush past us on the stairs. We would say things like, hey, leave my number three ball alone, or you're in my way, while on the stairs. Nothing too frightening ever happened. As an older adult, we had lunch at the Holly Hotel after our aunt died five years ago. We again went all over the building, and the only place I felt some presence was in the ladies' bathroom. So I find this interesting, too, because this is another person who had this experience in the ladies' bathroom which was a more recent experience. So it makes you think there's something going on in that bathroom that's different than what other people have experienced in the past. There always is. <laughs> Alex Cripps was a former employee and he said, I never believed in it until I decided to work here. And it's one of those things that you have no choice of not believing. There's just too much activity. It's just too frequent to just pass it off as something else and act like it's nothing. Based on all these accounts, it does seem that paranormal activity is frequent here. It'd be cool if that Christmas movie manages to capture some evidence during filming. Is the Holly Hotel haunted? That, that is for you to decide. decide. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to check out that movie just because I want to see the interior. Oh, absolutely. Because a lot of the time when it says, you know, something like Christmas at the Holly Hotel, it would be some other hotel and it's just some name they made up. But this right. is literally named for the location where they're filming it. So we'll get a chance to see inside, which is one of the reasons why I watch Ghost Adventures, because I just want to see the inside of this stuff. Absolutely. And then see if they caught anything. And I'd love to hear interviews with the cast and the crew afterward, if they had experiences while they were working there. It'll be interesting. So hopefully some of that stuff comes out. We'd love to have you guys check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you have some feedback to send us, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com or any of the different avenues. You can message us at Facebook. You can pop things into the crew. You can send me messages on Instagram. I try to get everything. And we do have some things to share with you guys. Karen in the crew posted, Synchronicities hit again, but I think it was more like Grandma Hutch had a hand in it. I haven't made her special meatloaf in quite some time. I do make regular meatloaf occasionally, but hers requires more planning. I have to buy the ingredients. I started thinking of it the other day. So last night when I went grocery shopping, I bought all the veggies. She always put cabbage, onion, celery, carrots, and potatoes in the bottom of the pan. Then the meatloaf was just ground beef, onion, and soda cracker crumbs. And I have her special pan. So I was planning to make it today. I was just getting ready to start chopping veggies, and I saw that my mother-in-law posted about today being Grandma Hutch's birthday today. I hadn't even thought of what day it was, but I guess Grandma is saying hi. I want that recipe. <laughs> I know, it sounds delicious. And yes, it's... I love it when our listeners and members in the crew share these family things. They happen all the time, whether yeah. it's a clock or here, you know, we had the boat last 
episode and now right. you've got this thing with me- just making meatloaf but it happens that she's like i'm gonna make it that day and hadn't even occurred to her that it was grandma's birthday the day she's making it yeah very cool kelsey on instagram was sharing about colonial williamsburg she said well several of my experiences happened intermittently over the years of going there one in particular was in the king's arm tavern when i was younger and i was with my family in the restaurant we had a reservation got seated and our waiter came serving water before we ordered Everyone's hands were above the table after he left. No air vents or vents period around the table. I felt like I was being splashed, sprinkled with water and very hushed whispers behind me that only I could hear. I asked if anyone heard it or splashed me and no one did. I've had this happen twice, two separate times and years apart. That's interesting. And that's the splashing with water and the whispers. I asked again if anyone splashed or heard anything. Got the same answer when it first happened. Second time was with a completely different group of people also. By the way, my favorite houses are the George Wythe House and Peyton Randolph House. Both involve Thomas Jefferson in some way. Plus, the Peyton Randolph House is the most haunted. Both of the houses are some of the original houses there. And I told her we're very jealous because we want to get to Colonial Williamsburg one of these days. Definitely. Especially during illuminations. Yeah. At the Christmas season. You'll just have to bring extra jackets. (laughs) Yeah. And gloves, hat, scarf, boots. (laughs) Long underwear. (laughs) Yes, all of it. Amy wrote, okay, so my father-in-law passed away six years ago. I was pregnant with my now five-year-old during his passing. I told him we were having a boy, my husband's first biological son, and that we were naming him after him. He passed away the next day. He was a sweet and gentle man. My son was born five months later. He was born premature and struggled for about three weeks. Every time he dipped low medically, I prayed to my father-in-law to help his grandson, and he would get better. Okay, maybe that was a fluke. When my son was two months old, we made a cross-the-country move, and I was driving alone with my three kids, and we went through the high hills and winding cliffs of Virginia, and it was a terrible, can't-see-anything-in-front-of-you rain windstorm. It was so scary to the point that I was crying and thought we were going to die because I couldn't see anything and there were lots of cars. I prayed to my father-in-law to protect the kids and get us through this. Just then, the rain stopped and the sun peeked out of the clouds. Okay, maybe a fluke again. We moved into a big house with an upstairs and stone cellar basement. I always felt like something was downstairs. You could feel the heaviness. One day we were going about our normal business with a baby and older kids. I laid the baby on the floor to play and went to the kitchen to clean. I heard something whisper in my ear, go get the baby. No one was there. I turned and picked the baby up and just then the ceiling came down where he was playing. Oh my word. Fluke again, right? Well, fast forward. My son is five now. We're back to Florida and life is great. We have this lamp in the living room that flickers in the evening when I'm getting ready to put my son to bed. Different times, never the same, but at bedtime. We tell our son that it's Papa saying goodnight. And my son always says, goodnight, Papa. Believe it as you may, but my son has his grandfather watching over him. That's very cool. Just amazing. Love that. And then Justin shared with me, you know, we were talking about burial practices in the last haunted cemeteries, and we talked about putting coins over the eyes. Mm-hmm. He said, in the last podcast, you mentioned people putting coins on the deceased person's eyes to keep them shut. Originally, this goes back to pagan times and was to pay the ferryman. Oh, wow. That makes sense. And I totally. think I'd heard that before, but I'd forgotten about that. So thanks for sharing that. And Kelly, one of our listeners, Shelby Rickard, has started her own podcast. It's called After Words Paranormal, and that's words, W-O-R-D-S. You can get it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it's very good. Yes, indeed. We want to thank all of you guys for tuning into this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by our executive producers.
Join me in the cemetery by becoming an executive producer. You can join on Patreon or PayPal. Check out the Support the Show tab on the website for more information. Colonel, so- Colonel Sylvanus Thayer was... I in- don't think that's a rank, Kelly. <laughs> I've never heard that rank in the military. George Washington was known to enjoy his eggnog with a liberal... <laughs> By 4 a.m., the party was spiraling out of control. Call the cops! <laughs> in the month of January on the 10th... Ugh, my tongue got stuck to the roof of my mouth. But that... Get kick to the roof of your mouth? It like you can you talk and have it stuck there like this? Like a team or I can't even do it on purpose. <laughs> what did I do? Oh, it I think on you accident? were lying when you said that. <laughs> I was trying to say like a ooh with peanut butter sandwich, but I can't. Just a little white lie. I can't do it. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this four hundred nineteenth nineteenth. It's the 19th. Is your tongue sticking again? It's sticking again. Oh, my word.